from the frozen ranges of Cold Regions Test Center. This is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm Mark Schauer. Sam Porter was born and raised in Alaska. In his spare time, he's a former president of the Interior Mud Racing Association. But at work at Cold Regions Test Center, he and his colleagues in the Allied Trade Shop fabricate parts and specialized equipment for the harsh winter testing. So Sam, tell me about the Allied Trade Shop here at Cold Regions Test Center. The Allied Trade Shop is a fabrication shop that incorporates metal, wood, plastics, fabrics, and we support test operations in the cold weather. We do a wide range of support projects, anything from uh, repairing our own equipment during the summer to uh, building custom fabricated pieces, equipment repair, targets, uh, blast shields, cold fronts for vehicles, wooden crates for shipping materials. We never know exactly what we're going to be doing and that's what makes uh, working at Allied Trades a lot of fun. Now you have to consider the extreme cold weather when you're making these things too. Yeah, interestingly, the way it's worked out and not necessarily by any design, uh, the gentlemen that work in the shop are locals. And I can't speak for them, but for myself, I have been in the fabrication trade since I was 14. Um, I got my first certs when I was extremely young and I've been welding and designing ever since. And I worked outside the state of Alaska for a while. And the skill set that's required for cold weather fabrication and even just operating in the cold, running equipment, getting to work, making vehicles run is useless anywhere else. So I found that my unique cold weather skills were of no value anywhere but, you know, in the state of Alaska. So the gentlemen that, that, that were raised locally and work in Allied Trades uh, have brought a level of expertise, uh, not just to getting to work and understanding the, the complications of working in this environment, but also fabricating, creating enclosures. Uh, an example is the, the bed on our welding truck is, um, it's a custom one-off piece that we built here at Allied Trades to support uh, cold weather repair. And what, it, what we did is enclose the toolbox, the welding unit itself, the reels, all the components of the torch assembly so that when we go downrange in our welding, uh, that piece of equipment can start up and run and it's ready to go. And that's not something that you can buy commercially, it's something unique to what we do. Our IMO support, Allied Trades is always busy. CRTC is staffed in a way that we, we do a lot of our overhead catch up during the summer because we can't sustain both the overhead work and the test work at the same time. So our summer is used as a reset. The heavy equipment is reset. All of our own equipment is reset. Blast shields like we're building out there right now. Uh, the summer is our, our window to catch that. So we're extremely busy right now, which is great, but we are, 
We are definitely playing catch up. When I first met you, you were involved with mud bog racing quite significantly. Yes. Can you talk about that? Probably like a lot of people that support events, you, you start by going and watching or participating and enjoying it. And what they had was a, uh, a mud drag. So trucks, four wheelers would line up in the mud pits and the slowest were 10 and 20 second runs and the fastest were three and four second runs. And obviously it was a blast to watch. And they had need for, for help operating, developing the pits. Um, so I initially got involved with that and then eventually moved into fundraising, um, helping get the group a nonprofit status as an organization and then working with some of the bigger uh, sponsors with power sports specifically to upgrade the event to an event that reflected kind of more of the current current racing styles. Not a lot of people are building trucks anymore and trucks was a big part of that mud bog racing. And that was a blast. That was a lot of fun. And it's a free event for most people in Delta. So yeah. any motorsports event takes a lot of work and a lot of insurance. And the best part is now uh, the groups, it's been handed over to another newer, younger, more aggressive group of people. They do a fantastic job with it. It's still rolling full time and I get to go watch it. And the Deltana races is one of the few where, where it's within reach of an average working person to participate. Absolutely. Yeah, especially younger people. One thing the newer group has done is create a, a category or categories to include specific smaller groups of people, young children as part of that, to where more people can compete and feel like they have a chance to win. If you if you have all those groups all together, uh, people tend not to participate because it's too challenging. You know, amazingly, it's a testament to the attitude of the racers and the organization and everybody together. But that event is celebrating its 30th anniversary this weekend. And they have never had a serious injury in the 30 years that they've operated. Sam, thanks so much for talking with us today. My pleasure. Dave Sutherland is the lead in Cold Regions Test Center's vehicle maintenance shop, responsible for scores of vehicles in the test center's fleet. He is Alaskan to the core. He's a licensed airplane pilot, an avid outdoorsman, and even a certified farrier. Dave, does the maintenance branch ever have a non-busy season? We don't. If we're not uh, actively supporting tests and uh, maintaining surfaces out at the, the mobility complex, uh, right now we're in reset mode, getting all our equipment ready for this coming season and building some uh, roads and test pads for upcoming tests, um, getting ready to start brush mowing all of our facilities. So th those are our, our summer, summer projects. And then winter is just strictly test support. Now you've spent, you were born and raised in Alaska, right? Right. As I recall, you've been elsewhere. You've worked at Disneyland for a time. No, I, I applied for a job at Disneyland. Um, it was right after I had completed horseshoeing school, right after uh, high school. And when I uh, finished that, a friend of mine was, had been working at Disneyland, driving the, the carts on the 
parades and stuff. And he turned me on to a job opportunity, but they were looking for somebody with a little more experience, so. How did you get interested in becoming a farrier? Um, we had horses as I was, when I was a kid, and um, you know, did the horse show circuits. And the guy that took care of our horse's feet ended up kind of like family. And whenever he'd come here to Delta, I'd ride with him to do all of his clients. And so then as soon as I got out of school, I went and spent a summer with him as an apprentice. And it's been, it's been great. It's a good side business and pretty much anywhere in the world, I think I could probably feed myself. So, and I enjoy being around the horses, so. Now you have another side venture too. You help people organize hunts and so on. Um, I've worked as an assistant hunting guide, um, but as far as organizing hunts for other people, no, none of that. Mostly for myself and with my friends, but I did work a couple of seasons as an assistant guide. What sort of things are you able to hunt in interior Alaska that folks don't find elsewhere? Moose, caribou, bear, doll sheep, uh, wolf, and of course we have ducks and geese and cranes. Some, I guess what you'd consider upland birds, the grouse. Of the big game, what's, what's the most coveted one? I'd say probably the doll sheep or, or the mountain goat. They're probably the hardest hunt. You, you earn it. You're in their country. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. You've told me about this before. You're out for days, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And everything that you need for that week or two weeks, you carry on your back. You learn to pack light. And what season of the year is this we're talking about? Uh, it usually starts on the first part of September for most of the big game hunting. So it's not bitterly cold yet? No, no. It can get down to freezing at night, but you have to be kind of prepared for everything. I know you enjoy being in Alaska and working here. We talk about visiting other places too. I do like to travel. Um, been on several cruises. Any, anywhere you know, 20 degrees north or south of the equator seems to be a real comfortable place for me. But, uh, and I do have a, a home in uh, Nevada, in southern Nevada. So that's a nice respite at times. Do you get satisfaction from the work here at CRTC? I do, I do. It's always a challenge. We get a lot of say in how we're going to meet those challenges. And that's, that, I, I enjoy that. Dave, really appreciate talking to you today. Oh, thank you, Mark. Cold Regions Test Center conducts a wide variety of military equipment testing in some of the coldest temperatures ever encountered in populated places on Earth. They see their test range as a natural laboratory, and accurate weather data and predictions are vital to the success of their testing. That is where meteorologists like Dan Wisniska come in. Dan, did growing up in Wisconsin prepare you for the winters of interior Alaska? Um, yeah, I think uh, somewhat, yes. Because um, in Wisconsin, it, it certainly does get cold. I, I do remember, you know, minus 20-something, I'm sure, 25 below or something like that. Um, plenty of snow. Um, there is the, you know, the four seasons, so it's, it, you know, living there definitely um, prepared me for living in a, a cold climate like this. Um, it's still different in comparison though for sure. I mean the, the winters here are, you know, the, the cold spells are longer. We, we don't have the sun, you know, warming up the atmosphere in the, during the daytime. Um, we, we don't quite typically get the heavy wet snow like in Wisconsin, but occasionally we do. Um, and uh, 
And it, yeah, and it certainly gets a lot colder here than in Wisconsin. I mean, I've never seen anything even to 40 below in Wisconsin in my time there, so, so until I got here. So. What inspired you to pursue meteorology as a career? I, when I was younger, I was always interested in um, astronomy. Uh, but then I think as I started growing up, I realized just how much additional schooling it would take to follow that path. So then I was, I, I was always kind of a math nerd and science nerd. So I kind of looked for other uh, career fields that were similar in nature. And uh, I don't know, I don't even remember how or when, but I kind of fell upon meteorology and started liking it. And it was probably in my high school days when I really pursued meteorology and decided that's what I wanted to go to college for. Did you ever think you'd be a weather forecaster for an army post in Interior Alaska? No, 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 I never, never knew where this would, this career field would lead me. But uh, no, certainly not. This is unexpected. But uh, <laughs> you know, I guess you never know what what paths you're actually going to follow in life. So, why is meteorology and meteorological data so important to the test mission here at CRTC? Yeah, it's uh, it's important for like um, for. There certainly are those situations where it's like go, no go decisions. Um, and there's also like, you know, a lot of the tests we get up here have certain parameters that they need to fulfill. They, they, want, they want to test in temperatures below zero or below 25 below. And so we, we have to be able to, we have to be able to get that cold for them. We need to be able to tell them when it's gonna get that cold, what kind of duration they're looking at. And we need to have instruments in the field to measure that data and collect that data for the customers and then provide them with that information so that it just it wraps up their test reports. It gives them everything they need and require. And uh, so, so everything is important. We, need, we have to be able to collect the data. It needs to be you know, quality controlled and accurate. We need to be able to uh, put together good forecasts, good quality forecasts for, for our customers and, and uh, tell them exactly when it's gonna get cold enough for them to conduct their tests. Like in Yuma, you have a large range that you're doing forecasting for, and there aren't uniform conditions, temperatures, and so on. What's it like forecasting for all these microclimates? Yeah, it's it is crazy. I you know I, I think on the scale of Yuma is much bigger than we are, um, you know range range wise, but uh, um, we we certainly have the microclimates here are just, I mean they can be insane. Um, you know if it. If it wasn't for all of our meteorology sites, all, there, all that would exist here is the, the airfield site on Fort Greeley, and that's it. I don't think people would quite realize just the differences that, would, that do occur around here if, if it wasn't for, the, for all of our MET sites out in the field. And um, yeah, it's, uh, the microclimates are, are insane. I mean, there's, there's been times where it's been like, uh, I think 45 degree differences, um, instantaneous differences between two of our weather stations. And I mean, they're not, yes, they are miles apart, but you know, in the long scheme of things, they're not that far apart. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been insane on those days. And the extreme winters must do a number on your, on your MET stations too. So the summertime you're, you're resetting, refitting. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, almost have to do it in the winter time too. If, if a sensor has completely failed at a site that you know, we know is, um, test teams are actively using that data, then we will, we will go out and repair it even in the winter time. It's, it's not easy, but it's, it's just what needs to be done. Um, otherwise, yeah, in the summertime, we are making our way around to all of the stations and 
checking the, the bearings and uh, checking for, you know, the props on the wind monitors, seeing if they're all chewed up from the winter time or broken or whatnot. And yeah, it's our, it's our chance to go, you know, clean up everything and make sure everything's properly working for the next test season. You've been here for 15 years now. You must like the Delta Junction community. Yeah, 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 absolutely. This is this is cert this area has certainly grown on me. Uh, it's uh, uh, I didn't. We moved up here from Houston, Texas, so it was a very big change. I mean, population, uh, weather, er everything. So, so we weren't sure, you know, at first. Like we we didn't think we would be like you know Delta lifers or what or whatnot. But um, the you know the the beauty of living here and the quietness is is wonderful the summer times are great so it's it definitely grew on us and and 15 years later we're still here so you must get a lot of reward out of supporting the mission too yeah absolutely it's uh it's it's always rewarding um you know every time a a test is able to, or a, yeah a test is able to successfully complete what they need to do and they're and and we hear the uh, comments from happy customers um it's a uh, yeah extremely rewarding and when 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 the forecasts work out how we expected things to work out that's wonderful too you know a lot of times we don't even hear specifically from the test officers but but we know like me and me and Caleb we know if like we did a good job on the forecast or if, or if we didn't do such a great job so we always know that and we can appreciate that too kind of on our own so <laughs> Dan thanks so much for talking with us absolutely yeah this has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.